Hey, good morning, everyone. You're very welcome to this morning's uh, Infrastructure Committee. Just advise those who are here just to maintain social distancing. Uh, today, we will be receiving a, a briefing from the Department with regards to proposals for the further financial assistance for the bus and coach operators as a consequence of um, coronavirus. Uh, just advise those who are both witnesses and members who are joining us um, remotely. Um, it would be really helpful for members if they may actually, if you raised your hand, if you wish to ask a question on each item um, of the agenda. And also, um, if you could mute your mic when you're not asking a question, because it just allows for uh, reduction in the interference um, during the session. Uh, with regards to apologies, I haven't received any at this moment, um, nor do I have any chairman's business. So we move then to draft minutes at page six, and these are the draft minutes for the meeting of the 17th of February. If members are content to agree, are there any issues? No one's indicated, so I'm taking that as content. Moving then to the amended minutes of the 16th of December at page 13. Are members agreed? Okay, I can take that as content. Move then to matters arising, item 5 at page 21, and that again is from the meeting of the 17th of February. Um, members, if you have any issues arising from um, the meeting, which is coming out on our. No one has any issues, okay. And also then at page 25, we have outstanding committee requests for information, and as you will see from that, that there are a number which are outstanding and several reminder emails have been forwarded um, in order to to prompt those to, to, to reply where appropriate. Do members have any issues in relation to that? Nope. Okay. Move then to correspondence, which is item six. I'll just uh, draw your attention to the correspondence memo at page 40. Um, obviously, that gives the detail of um, each item of correspondence and how we wish to address it. Do members have any issues with regards to that? We obviously have correspondence at page 57 with regards to um, our committee for the 24th of March, which is um, a combination of um, the three committees ourselves, um, ERA and Economy. And there's a proposal obviously there um, which the economy um, chair will chair session um, and obviously it's being um, arranged um, although the initial correspondence came from era it's now being taken forward by economy um, so members of any comments with regards to that and how that might be managed obviously that will be quite be quite a number of members involved in that um, HMRC and trader support services are the witnesses that particular day and it was obviously best to have an amalgamated meeting rather than then us all trying to um, arrange individual meetings with um, with those organizations um, there are a number of um, suggestions i think as to how that's going to be managed with regards to the number of members and how they wish to ask questions um, i don't know whether members have any thoughts on that um, whether we submit questions in advance whether we do it as party groups um, or whether we do it as, as, com as committees. And members, any thoughts, um, Ms. Anderson? 
obviously this will help the clerk whenever um, she is communicating with the other clerks. Um, Chair, I think it's a wee bit stilted when we just submit questions. Um, I don't think we get you know a proper exchange because we might want to ask you know either for an explanation or or something else. So um, perhaps given the volume of um, of members that would be in attendance, you you may want to consider doing it uh, by party. Um, and allocating uh, on that basis. But whatever, I, I do believe that I would prefer to be part of or party to um, a contribution that is actually asking the questions because I think it does a better service to our scrutinising role. Okay, although I think um, the way in which we'll be arranged, obviously, um, Keeve Archibald, Cherit, and myself and Declan McAleer will then act as deputies so it may be something that we may want to even consider as a committee that maybe there are particular topics that I could maybe ask on behalf of the committee at the beginning and then we may then be able to then distribute sort of allocation time then after that I don't know it's maybe it's just it's also just to make sure that we have a committee voice there as well rather than just um while we're all there as party representatives and so on as well there maybe there obviously are issues which are pertinent to each committee um, that we may want to raise so just to give some consideration to that I know it's a couple of weeks away but just to make consider um, maybe what we want to do and, and for that then to be re relayed back in the organization of the session anyone else? mr Beggs? I, I, I think that um, frequently in, in a, uh, a committee process, uh, it's, it's the supplementary questions that get to the nub of it. If, if someone has a question in advance, um, they can produce a set of words that perhaps says what they, they want to say without uh, fully answering the question. So I think it's vital that there are supplementary questions. Um, it may be useful, to, uh, instead of potentially having a scattergun approach, to have segments under different headings and then have a, any other business, any other issues, uh, for ones that we have not foreseen uh, at the end. Uh, I do think uh, this is a very important uh, uh, meeting uh, for us all to become perhaps even more fully aware, but also to feed in uh, to others uh, what, what we have come across. And I think that may be the only business of the day. Okay, um, anyone else at the stage? Okay. Okay. We will leave that um, to um, to clerks then to um, to discuss and then come back at a future meeting. Okay. Thank you. Um, th another item is obviously the, uh, a lengthy correspondence from um, the minister, um, starting at page sixty-nine, um, which addresses a number of pieces of correspondence and issues which the committee has raised over uh, um, over the last few weeks. Um, members may have some issues or um, may have some comments with regards to that. I picked up on an item on part of page 72, just in relation to correspondence from her, um, with regards to the comment that was made around having shovel-ready projects. Um, and that really wasn't addressed. It was the second part of the correspondence, which they addressed just in relation to handing back money, but not actually on um, what actions are being taken to ensure the capital projects are shovel-ready. And a, num a number of members had actually raised that as an issue. So, I mean, I would be keen for us to go back just to explore that particular part of that. Um, and also, obviously, with regards to COVID funding, um, 
I would like to know what um, other pressures there currently are and you know um, what um, other schemes that the department may be currently looking at in order to try um, to address some of the issues around COVID. Uh, Mr Boylan, if you could indicate on the... Yeah. Pressing the yeah, thank you, yeah, thank you, Chair. Yeah. Um, two issues, Chair. Yeah, the road safety grant scheme, Chair, I mean... 47 applications failed to meet the criteria. So can we have a look at the criteria? I mean, clearly we need we need to look to see exactly what the criteria was and how those groups failed. I mean, because a lot of good work going on out there. I mean, this is an important one for us. So I think we need to just have a look at the criteria and see why those people actually failed and whether there was no guidance or support through council or whatever the case may be, I would like to look at it. And also, Chair, yeah, I agree with you in terms of the roads issue because I mean, if you if you follow on social media, it's all over the place. We we said we'd support the minister in making bids for monies. Now, all of us know, be it as councillors or MLAs, that from January to March most years, that there's money gained in the monitoring rounds to do shovel rally projects out on the ground, and I don't think any member in the committee would have any issues with it. So clearly, there was an issue this year. If it was a capacity issue within the department. Well, then we need to find out exactly why that was or what happened. And I would, I would be in support of the members in this committee and the committee asking the question, even supporting the department if if they did have pressures, if they had capacity issues, because I mean, all of our councillors right across the board, no matter what party it is, there's a number of roads and a number of issues out there on the roads, and we need to be looking instead of ding dong back and forward about responsibilities. We people need these roads fixed. And there's no money for it. So th those two issues I want us as a committee to look at. Certainly, I'm disappointed in 47 applications failing the, the road safety issue, the, the grant scheme, because I'm sure there's things out there a lot of local groups could have been doing with funding to try and get the message out. And road safety will own our priorities. Thanks, Chair. And I and I agree with you, although I suppose we're we're not the um, we're not the body that obviously looks at the applications either. So I think we just we need to be to be mindful of that. Um, um, that said, this has been been quite clear. Obviously, that this was a, a sort of a one-off um, scheme, and obviously it was something that we would want to encourage if there is more money available and perhaps to, to look at the eligibility again. Um, I'm not really that clear. From the from the annex that was provided, although it says reason not accepted, I mean it still it still doesn't give us a, 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 any real detail as to to what the, the precise issue was. But then again, I suppose that that again that's not our role either. Um, so I suppose we just need to to, to, to watch that. Um, just with regards to the the um, the shovel ready projects and the issues around um, road maintenance at this particular time of year. Uh, Officials, when they were with us, um, said that they had received 4.5 million, which comes sort of internal um, reallocations. But we haven't received um, any ideas to where that money then came from internally either. So I suppose we just want to to follow up on that. Um, Mr. Beggs, Mr. Muir. Um, I just want to uh, declare an interest in in the road safety issue as uh, treasurer of the Carrickfergus Road Safety Committee. Um, and then with regarding um, the uh, difficulties that the department has had to um, carry out further repair works on, on our disintegrating roads, um, 
they have indicated that they have a capacity issue. I think it's right that we should uh, pursue that matter further. Um, but I think we really need to be reminded of the fact that uh, tarmac, putting tarmac down in January, February, March is not the best time of the year. You get bet, what you could do not get good value for your money. It's not as good a job. Who who in a private house would choose to tarmac the road here? It shouldn't just be used to um, throw down tarmac, which is not going to last. We need uh, funding for the roads to happen in a much uh, better planned ma manner to provide a, an even workload for the contractors who work at this so they're not suddenly uh, land up with lots of uh, work uh, during the winter months, which is not the best period to carry out this work. Okay, thank you, Mr. Muir, and then Mrs. Kelly. Yeah, thank you very much, thank you very much, Chair. Um, just a few things um, on page seventy-one of the letter, <clears throat> the letter which we've been dealing with. It um, mentions that four point seven five million is currently being invested by councils. In the COVID-19 revitalization program. Now, I have some overview in relation to what that uh, those programs involve, but it'll be, it'll be useful to get a bit of a breakdown in terms of how that 4.75 has been spent in terms of the blue-green fund, if that would be possible. Um, and the other one is just in relation to the comments from Carl around the, um, the road safety grants. I think that is an issue of concern. I think we need to be supporting um, organizations where they're seeking to reach out and assist and do action in relation to road safety, so I'd agree with those comments. Uh, and the last one really is in relation to the first item on the letter, which is on the A1 uh, junctions phase two. So it provides us with a bit of an update in relation to that and a commitment to look at uh, undertaking these items concurrently, which I think is really important. To me, this is a really high priority scheme that needs to be taken forward. It would just be useful if we could maybe in part of the forward work plan if the committee would be agreeable to have a discussion with officials in relation to this project and how it's proceeding, because I think it is really important. There's far too many people have had their lives lost on this road, and I think it's important that we prioritise that. Just on the road safety side of things as well, it'd be interesting to know whether the department um, provided feedback to each of those groups, um, yeah. or whether they just received an email to say they were unsuccessful. Mrs Kelly. Um, thanks, Chair. Um, can I concur with uh, Mr. Beggs in relation to putting roads maintenance onto a proper financial footing? I know that the Minister made a bid last June for £11 million, which was unsuccessful. And it's that time, you know, we all know uh, the, the poor state of our, of our roads. The audit reports over many years has told us that. So in terms of resource funding, I wonder what... Uh, we have the budget debate coming up soon. Uh, perhaps if the chair and her uh, contribution might cover some uh, of the d difficulties faced uh, in relation to the resource funding for rural road maintenance. But could I also say, I'm not sure whether we have had sight of the road safety grant application forms. Uh, I, I'm, I'm not familiar with them um, and how that whole process um runs from beginning to end so if, if there's any chance of us having sight of that and i wonder um i'm, I'm probably should declare that i'm chair of the partnership committee and we'll be, and liz kimmins is a colleague on the committee and the policing board and we'll be launching soon the police property fund bid you know it may be something that there could be some element of working together you know um 
and with community groups if we knew what the, how the department was minded, if it had any funding for the year ahead, you know, it might give some groups some hope in terms of um, of achieving their aims and in terms of improving road safety in some very local areas. Thank you. Anyone else? Uh, Mr Buchanan. Yeah, just, I'm just looking um, chair on page 77 regarding a member of the public had, had written in there the department regarding insurance. I think he stated in that letter, it's like a handwritten letter in the bottom of 77 regarding the, the fact of the most, well, his words, not mine, half of Belfast hiring award is not proper. Should we contact the department to clarify insurance of taxi vehicles, if that is correct, what he's stating there? Um, we need to check whether um, this gentleman is, is content for us to um, forward his details then to the department. We previously did, we, we previously did it. Mm -hmm. We're waiting on a response from a previous correspondent. Okay, and, and have we, we he, he was content for to share his, his information? We didn't share his personal details, we just shared the correspondence. Okay, because, yeah, because I noticed in another response that they had, well, it was actually within the Minister's letter, that they couldn't actually deal with the issue because the, the person's details hadn't been sent to them. So um, I just wonder whether or not it would be better to... You know, you know, to have a complete um, uh, response from the minister if they receive, you know, if we send them all the. It's due in the most recent dialogue that is okay. to come back. Grand We're waiting, okay. getting that, and then. Okay. Obviously, there's a there's a general issue, but there seemed to be some sort of confusion, obviously, in the correspondence that he was sent through to us from um, Rosie Leach. Yeah, I see that. Um, so, I suppose it's just about get, maybe get some sort of clarity even from him, so that we can maybe just. You know, get the information that he needs, uh, and just to draw a line under that, if that's possible. Okay. Members, any other comments <coughs> in, in correspondence? Are you content then with the actions as suggested in the correspondence memo? And we'll agree that. Yeah. Thanks, sorry. Kelly. <coughs> yeah. Uh, thanks, Chair. It's just in relation to the correspondence in relation to the appointment of Mr. McDonough and Waterways Ireland. I just wonder, could we, uh, when we come to the forward work plan, maybe uh, consider inviting Mr. McDonough to do a presentation to the committee? Uh, there were a number of concerns expressed yesterday when the minister made the statement around the impact of Brexit and climate change, etc., in relation to Waterways Ireland and, and uh, the impact of the loss of EU funding. So it might be useful in our forward work plan to have a presentation. Yeah, certainly, um, Waterways Ireland had been on our um, on our list, and obviously, just as a consequence of COVID, then that hadn't happened. And as you know, we we planned to get out to, to visit as well. And I think then there were issues just in relation to um, obviously the appointment as well, which had affected that. So um, we'll we'll get that scheduled. Okay. Okay. Anything further? No. Okay. Grand. Thank you very much. Moving then to item seven which is the departmental briefing um, on the further assistance, financial assistance for bus and coach operators due to coronavirus. Um, just draw your attention, members, to table papers at page three, which is the proposal for the statutory rule, um, uh, which you will have received over the weekend, as well as it was obviously late coming to um, the office for our parks. And then there are a number of pieces of correspondence just in relation to that, um, commencing at page 99. Um, Hansard will record the meeting and we are going to welcome um, all our witnesses via Starleaf. So we have um, Julie Thompson, who's the Deputy Secretary, Planning, Safety and Transport Group uh, Policy Group. And we have Philip Gallagher, who is Freight Policy and Passenger Transport. You're both very welcome to this morning's 
meeting. Um, can I ask you, um, Julie, to um, commence and then we will um, move to questions? Unless, unless, Philip wants yeah. to ask, unless Philip wants to say something as well, sorry. No, I'll do not, the opening remarks here, that's okay? Okay, thank you. Okay. So thank you for today's opportunity to provide briefing and the update to the committee on the department's provision of financial assistance for the bus and coach sector. Um, and as well as several responses that we've already provided to the committee on the issue, as you've said, the members have received the SL1 for the second bus and coach scheme. And I want to highlight a few elements out of the SL1 to the committee and also provide an update on the first bus and coach scheme. Um, the COVID-19 pandemic is continuing to have a very real impact on lives and livelihoods and bus and coach operators, like many others, are dealing with an extremely difficult situation. The Minister has already delivered support to many operators in the sector through the first financial support scheme, which was approved by the Executive and which closed just before Christmas. In that scheme, bus operators who demonstrated that their turnover or their income from the 1st of April to the 30th of September had decreased by more than 40% from the same period in 2018 or 2019. And as a result, they had incurred a loss, were eligible for a payment based on their financial standing requirements of £8,000 per bus and £4,450 per additional vehicle of their actual loss if that was lower. And the maximum payment per operator was £100,000. In terms of an update, a total of 140 valid applications were received in the first scheme. Officials are completing the final eligibility and financial assessments for those applications. And as of yesterday, processing has been completed on 96% of those applications. We are very aware that bus operators need their payments urgently and staff are processing the remaining six applications under the scheme as quickly as possible, whilst carrying out the necessary checks on each application. Where possible, officials are working with the operators to gain sufficient information to approve the claims rather than to reject them. You will appreciate that it is important that these checks are carried out given the need to ensure value for money assurance around the use of public money. The current analysis of those applications indicates that of the 134 valid operator applications that have been processed to date, 94 or 70% have been eligible for payment under the scheme and 40 or 30% have not been eligible for any payment. One of the main reasons for ineligibility is that some operators are still profit making. However, the scheme has been set up to provide funding only where losses have been incurred to help those most in need and ensure value for money. Moving forward, it's clear that the ongoing restrictions have had a direct and significant impact on the capacity of the bus and coach industry to trade. The department therefore considers that exceptional circumstances exist for the development of a second financial support scheme to take account of their ongoing costs for the period between 1st of October 2020 and 31 March 2021. Members will wish to note that the Minister met with sector representatives on the 1st of February to discuss the new scheme and officials have also met with sector representatives to consider lessons learned from the first scheme and to consider the design of the second scheme. The sector have suggested a number of changes, including use of the EU temporary de minimis limit of €800,000 rather than the €200,000 de minimis state aid regulations, the removal of the 100000 maximum cap, the removal of the cap on payments based on the amount per bus, the removal of the criteria for being loss making, changes to the financial eligibility criteria, 
less reliance on accountants sign off, less administration and scrutiny, and improvement in communication to applicants, including acknowledgements and regular updates. And I know that the sector has discussed these concerns with the committee. In outlining the principles behind the new scheme set out in the SL1, I will explain how we have taken on board some of the feedback from the sector. However, you will appreciate that in developing a second scheme, the department has to provide value for money and protect public funds. And therefore the key controls of making payments to loss making businesses only and having a maximum payment per bus will remain in place. As such, the executive approved the second scheme last Thursday and a further determination has also been received from the First Minister and Deputy First Minister. In considering the design for the first financial support scheme, there were a number of unknowns about the bus and coach sector in order to protect value for money. The £100,000 cap for that scheme was put in place in order to ensure value for money and in recognition of the fact that the number of operators that would be impacted and have their payments capped was very small. We now have a great deal of new information about the finances of individual companies, feedback from the sector and the impact of the cap that were applied. Had the first scheme not had the £100,000 cap, the data shows that total payments would not have been distorted significantly, costing an additional £131,000. But this would have provided additional support to a small number of larger companies within the available funding. Of these companies, only one was significantly impacted by the £100,000 cap. Three companies were very close to receiving the maximum payment possible based on the number of buses in their fleet, and one was very close to receiving the maximum payment possible due to its loss. Based on the feedback from the sector and our findings from the first scheme, there is justification in concluding that removing the £100,000 cap in the second scheme will still provide value for money as long as the other controls regarding payments based on cap per bus or the actual loss, whichever is the lower, remain in place. Through the second scheme, the Department also proposes to make the relevant additional payments to those affected by the £100,000 cap in the first scheme. And this will ensure that all operators are treated consistently throughout the year. Secondly, in terms of addressing the feedback from the sector, the department is actively considering the implications for the outworkings of this scheme in relation to the state aid rules, including those which applied until 31 December 2020, and the new subsidy rules under the EU-UK Trade and Cooperation Act, which apply from the 1st of January 2021, in order to avoid any further constraints on each operator. And that work is ongoing at present. In terms of feedback, we will also work on improving a number of areas, including communication with applicants and the provision of additional guidance. As you know, the implementation will require new regulations. The regulations will be made using temporary powers granted to the Department under the Financial Assistance Act, Northern Ireland, 2009. They will require the endorsement of the Executive Office and will be subject to negative resolution procedure. The Department anticipates that the new scheme will be launched in early March and will be based on similar principles to the first scheme. It will therefore be open to operators who can demonstrate a drop in turnover of at least 40% from 1 October to 31 March, compared to the best equivalent period of the previous two years. As set out in the SL1, payment provision is again based on the reserves that licensed bus and coach operators are required to hold in satisfying the requirement of financial standing. These constitute £8,000 for the first vehicle and £4,450 for each additional vehicle, as I've already said. The amount payable will be the financial standing requirements for each operator or their actual loss, whichever is the lower. 
It is, of course, necessary to ensure that the funding is fully needed and operators will therefore be asked to provide evidence of their expenditure to cover the period between October 2020 and the end of March 2021. This evidence will again require verification by an accountant and some elements of expenditure will be checked. We will continue to work with the sector on the operational arrangements for the second scheme. Thank you for the opportunity to come along today. We recognise that this is an extremely challenging time for everybody, for businesses and workers, including those in the bus and coach sector. And I can assure you that the team in DFI is working very hard to provide much needed support alongside the other schemes which are available across the executive and government. Um, and we're obviously happy to answer any questions or clarify anything that you would want. Okay, th um, th thank you, Chair. Thank you. Um, thank you, Judy, for, for the presentation. And obviously, um, you will know from um, listening to um, members of that sector that they are hugely disappointed um, that despite representations from ourselves and from the sector itself, that this is more or less just an extension of the previous scheme without really any major, major change to it. Um, and, and as you've outlined, they made um, quite a number of um, recommendations for change um, and very few of those have actually been taken on board. So it sort of asks, and they're asking the question really, was this maybe more of a negotiation than it was actually um, any, wasn't really more, it was probably more a fait accompli rather than actually a, a consultation, um, which, which I suppose concerns them. Um, and they, they do actually have an issue around the whole concept of value for money and what value for money maybe means to the department and what value for money means for the sector because for them really value for money for them is the retention of um, the industry um, which they feel is perhaps being missed so maybe could you talk to us in relation to the concept of value for money from the perspective of the department Yes, happy to do so. Um, in terms of the value for money, I mean, this is obviously public funds that is being used and therefore we have to ensure that that is being um, applied properly. So the, the checks and balances that we have in place there around uh, particularly that a business um, is loss making. The sector would acknowledge that some operators have been able to maybe continue a bit of trading, particularly through the likes of education authority type contracts. Um, and therefore, to ensure that we are ensuring value for money, um, those payments are based on those businesses that are loss-making rather than providing funds to profit-making businesses. Um, and that's one of the key assurances around um, the scheme itself. The second main, I guess, uh, control also in place is around the cap per amount per bus. Um, now, many schemes are not fully funding losses um, or um, fully compensating organisations. Um, and that, in terms of constraint in the public purse, is around saying, yes, we, we, we are recognised there's an issue, but up to a certain point, and the financial standings uh, is the way that the department has decided to do that. Um, and that has worked for some operators are being getting payments in the first scheme because of their losses, and some operators are getting payments because of the cap per bus, um, and that those are both in play as we look at value for money um, on each of those operators. So I think in terms of the, the scheme and its operation, having an assurance that we're using good, good use of public funds is very, very important. 
um, and that's something that we have uh, ensured is still in place as we've moved into the second scheme. Okay, and at no, at no point when I'm asking questions am I implying that the department should do anything that it shouldn't be doing with regards to um, being inappropriate with public funds, but I suppose from the perspective of the, of the sector, um, they are looking to the survival of it post-COVID, and we're at a situation now where we're now well into 2021 with regards to looking at planning um, trips and so on too. And we're still in um, quite restrictive times. Um, so really for them, you're wiping out then 2021. Um, and at this stage, really, I suppose what we need to look at, and I suppose from the um, industry's perspective, is whether a consideration is being given rather than having to go through this process perhaps on another for another round that there is a rolling scheme of support for the industry while we still go through um, restrictions. Yeah, I think there's a broader point in that chair around um, what support will be provided generally to all sorts of businesses and to the economy in general as we head into 2021. Um, and obviously lots of decisions for the executive and for the government around what might happen there. There's a lot of dependencies and businesses depending on the likes of furlough schemes, on the timing then of payback on loans, which is, is relevant. So I think how the executive wants to approach the economic recovery post-COVID and what that looks like, I would suggest that that's not just a, just a concern, obviously, of the bus and coach industry, but more generally. So I think the executive will need to consider 2021 and how that happens, the support that is available, the money that is available, and obviously ensuring and understanding what is available from the UK government at the same time. So I absolutely understand um, that they are looking for a rolling scheme, um, but for the moment we're implementing the second scheme and I think the broader perspective on 2021 will need to be put into place at the executive level first, which will then help departments to understand what um, the parameters of that look like going into 21 and obviously the timing of, of the lifting of restrictions will be an important part of that moving forward as well. I think we do still be mindful of the fact that this is support rather than a replacement of um, sort of loss of, of earnings, I suppose, too, because really in the whole scheme of things, this is actually quite a small amount of money that's just, which, is, which is being given to those industries in order to um, sort of cover, I suppose, very small amount of the bills that they have because the, their ongoing costs are, are very, very significant. Um, so by no means does this really... Um, um, replace, I suppose, their, their loss in, in any way. Um, and yet, I suppose the, um, the bureaucracy or the administration and so on, which is associated with that, has been, has been great. Um, and, and I know actually speaking to a bus operator yesterday who was very, very emotional. And at this stage, just by the nature of the business that they have, because they operate from home, they haven't actually been able to get any support at all. And it is I mean, this is a, a reputable business who I've known and used for on many occasions, and they are, um, I suppose, um, devastated at the fact that at this up to this point, which is nearly 12 months on, they haven't received any money at all. You know, so there, there is a, a there is a, a, a person or a, a very much a, um, 
an individual um, trauma associated with all of this as well, particularly whenever you've had a business in excess of 30 years and you start to see that business then disappear of no fault of your own and not receiving any support, having paid um, all that you're, you're meant to pay during that period of time and keeping things right. So there, it, is, it is a very difficult time for those business owners. Yes, I fully understand that, Chair, and we've been working really hard to try and get the payments out as quickly as possible, which is why we're now down to the, to the final six um, claims that are being looked at. Um, the further on through the process that we have got, the more complicated I, you know, some of those claims have been to, to look at and to understand. And we have been genuinely working with the operators to get them to a point where we can actually accept uh, their claim rather than taking potentially a much quicker approach and based on the information we've got saying that no we would we would reject that so we have been trying to ensure that we can get as many operators as possible into the place of giving them a valid claim and, and therefore making a payment um, in terms of funding losses um i mean out of the 94 um applications that have been found eligible 62% of them are being fully funded for their losses. So, um, and the, the rest then are, are based on the cap. So that maybe gives you a feel for the splits between those that are being fully funded and where the cap is in play. So the cap per bus is in play on 38% of those uh, eligible payments, whereas the losses and the fully funding of, of what they have described to us of, of their losses is being made on 62% of claims. But I appreciate that every Every operator is in different position, their personal circumstances are all very different. And we absolutely feel, because we've had the emotion um, and the pressure and all of that described to the team as well, and they feel that pressure too, and are working very, very hard to try and get the, 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 the applications processed as quickly as possible. Just one final question. Obviously, between um, the SL1 and the SR for the, um, the, taxi, the taxi driver support, um, there was a change. Do you anticipate um, any change in the interim between the SL1 and the SR for, for this scheme? No, we don't at this point, Chair. I mean, the change on the taxi driver one was to make it, I guess, easier to operate and fairer for the taxi drivers. So we were keen when that was pointed out to us by the sector to get that put in place for them. Um, and we did write to executive colleagues to notify them that that's what we would intended to do. So I, I think and I hope that in making that change in the statutory rule that that actually made that scheme a better scheme and certainly responded to feedback from the sector. At the minute, I don't anticipate that, but I, obviously I can't, I can't rule that out. So there's still an opportunity to change um, the SL or for the for the SL. Well, we have to stay in line substantively with yeah. what has already been agreed by the executive, um, and what changed in the taxi driver thing what scheme was a, a minor change, which was still um, in the spirit of what had been agreed by the executive. Okay, thank you, Mr. Buchanan. Okay, thank you, Gillian Phillip. <coughs> so, um, Gillian, quick question, a couple of questions, actually. Regarding the, the £100,000 cap, is that the main difference between the first scheme and the second scheme? Is that the main physical difference? Um, yeah, we're, we're looking at, I guess, at three um, changes. Um, the £100,000 is, is one, um, which obviously only impacts on, on a small number of operators. 
and um, the industry has asked us to look at the state aid rules and we're looking to see what we can do around that space although it is exceptionally complicated particularly with the um, the element that relates to, to uh, pre the 31st of December and then the element that relates from January to March and then the scheme that closed at the end of September and a new scheme opening at the beginning of October. So there's a lot of things at play there, uh, but the sector have asked us to consider what limits that um, should be put in place and we're trying to get that set up in a way that, that doesn't act as another constraint on, on operators and what they might receive. And then the third thing we're looking at, obviously, is around um, communications uh, and getting more regular updates to people and clarifying the guidance. Those are the main differences between the first and the second scheme. Okay, so Julie, you referred then in your document to all the lessons have been learned from administrating. So obviously, both sectors, or sorry, both organisations, Kone and coach operators, have obviously a list of asks, should I say, a list of recommendations or queries. So what other lessons, apart from those three, you've talked about the 100 cap, the state aid and the communication, what other lessons have you learned from that and what other parts are you going to put into this that they have requested you to look at? Well, those, those are the changes that we will put in place and obviously we'll be working on, for example, um, clarifying the guidance and making that clear for people as we look forward. Um, in terms of the other things that the sector asked for, um, and I, I, I guess I, I went through a, a lot of those in my opening remarks. Um, so the sector would have been keen that we, for example, remove the loss um, criteria so that um, funding would be provided to also organisations in profit. They would have preferred that we didn't rely uh, as much on accountants signing things off. Um, they wanted less admin scrutiny. Um, and I guess as part of that, um, what I would say is there's been a lot of learning on the scheme generally about um, individual operators and, and they're obviously they're all in individual circumstances and what those look like. We know that some of those claims have been very straightforward to deal with, very clear and evidence has been provided to us very straightforwardly. Um, for other um, applications, that process has not been as smooth. And I think this is where some of the element of um, criticism that we're doing too much admin or too much scrutiny is coming from. But maybe just to give a flavour of some of that to the committee about some of the things that we have found, and this is not across the board, as I say, a lot of applications have gone through very, very smoothly, but we have had um, expenditure that doesn't relate to the bus operator business. We've had expenditure that is not bus related at all. We've had expenditure related to the wrong period. We've had inflated costs that, when challenged, have been pulled down. We've had buses that aren't the right number of buses. So if I can present that to the committee, that's the reason why, at times, um, we are being criticised for the administration and the scrutiny that we're putting in place. Um, we don't scrutinise everything, but we do do samples across all claims. And the vast bulk of those are fine but there has been enough identified that we know we need to continue with um, those checks and with the accountant sign off and ensure that we have all the checks and balances in place. Okay, and final question, Julie. Um, obviously, we've got the two uh, companies, Coach Operators NI and Bus and Coach NI, which don't represent, I understand, all the operators. I think there's a, a pool of operators out there that sit, or let's call them on their own. Have you reached out to them for feedback or have you asked them for feedback? between the first scheme and this scheme? 
We have certainly um, been talking to um, an operator that doesn't um, isn't part of those two uh, sector representative bodies. We've talked about and have been engaging with them and their knowledge of the sector. Uh, we've also offered to meet with other um, um, elements of the sector, um, although that wasn't taken up. So we have, you know, done our best to reach out and understand. And obviously, as people have been engaging with our team. Um, there's been a lot of conversations about um, where operators are at, and we have had both. Pos I would like to say we have had positive feedback, uh, where some operators are um, happy with what is happening and have found it simple, and we've had other operators who have uh, not been happy and have expressed difficulty with the process. So I think sitting at a global level, we need to do more to help operators, all of them, understand what's required and that the guidance is very clear about what's needed. Um, and hopefully that will make it smoother for all concerned. We want to make it smoother um, going into the, to the next scheme. And obviously our team has learned uh, and understands more about the industry now than, than the first time. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Okay, thank you, Mrs. Anderson. Sorry, uh, you're on mute. Okay, thank you, thank you, Chair, and uh, thank you, Julie, for for that. Julie, listening to you, um, it's it's chalk and cheese as I listen to you, and I've heard the operators on the radio this morning because these operators have no income now for nearly a year, and despite what you said, Julie, my question is why the department has not increased the accessibility of the scheme. You know, the department must know that there's something wrong with a scheme that only approves less than half of those operators in the sector and those who were deemed eligible, uh, and, you know, that they weren't, they were deemed ineligible. They need COVID support. So surely the scheme, as it was designed to provide hardship support uh, for the sector, is not working. And my concern, and I concur with everything that the chair has said, don't think there's anyone in this committee saying you shouldn't do due diligence. Of course you should. Um, but we're very concerned about the reports that we are receiving. We have received a number of emails from the sector, as well as from the operators themselves. And they're raising their concerns about the scheme. And they have brought forward a range of measures uh, to take into account in order to improve the scheme. Um, page uh, 93 for the other members of, of our paper, they suggested nine uh, for, for the second financial support scheme, but only one really of their recommendations, Julie, has been taken into account, the lifting of the, of the cap. So why were nearly none of these other recommendations adopted for the second scheme? I guess that um, uh, similar issues that Mr Buchanan has, has just raised. We have and are addressing three of the nine, not just one. So the state aid uh, re request is also being looked at as is the comms and, and updates and communication on that. The other, a lot of the other um, issues, as I've already said, are to do with um, the loss making, the reliance on accountants, the administration, and those all connect to um, the fact that we need to ensure the value for money and that we have the appropriate checks and balances in place. The chair asked about the rolling from April 21 to December 21 and, and obviously the, the broader picture around that. So we know that, that the sector has significant concerns. Um, 
we, in terms of those that um, are not eligible, um, the 21 of those um, out of the 40 are because of um, being still in profit rather than a loss. Um, three of them had not reduced their turnover by 40%. And the remaining 16 are versions and combinations of um, insufficient evidence being provided to back up their claim. Um, so that's that's the, the what we found in the in the first scheme on the hundred and well we've done one hundred and thirty four with six still to go, um, and we appreciate certainly the um, you know some people have been paid earlier than others that's definitely true, um, but we have been working as quickly as we can through them and as I've already said some of them unfortunately are just more complicated than others. Um, and more evidence has had to be provided to us to back up where they're at. And at times that has actually increased what they have been able to, you know, get in terms of the scheme. So it, it hasn't worked always to bring payments down. At times it has actually assisted them in order to bring their payment up. And we've been happy to work with them to do that. Um, but I appreciate, and it's probably the same as every business across Northern Ireland, people are struggling and, and therefore, you know, the, are they content that everything is is there that they would want? And the answer to that is no. But Julie, people are struggling out there. Of course they are. We all know businesses are struggling. And many of those businesses have been able to come to us. And if there's any, say, for instance, wrinkles or anything uh, that's over bureaucratic or complicated, some of us as MLAs were, being, were able to go to whoever it is in official and, and try to get that resolved and get it resolved. But one of the issues... Um, which has been a current uh, theme, I believe, is the criteria has been deemed complicated and expensive um, by, by the sector, and that needs simplified. Now, that means that operators have already spent thousands on accountants to apply for a scheme only to be deemed ineligible. And so the scheme has actually cost them. So we absolutely appreciate and support the need to be responsible and accountable with finance. But there must be a better way to ensure that while actual support for the industry is what the minister had announced, that that actually gets to the industry. And I think what you said about the executive and you, you responded to the chair and said the SIL1 may not change in the SR. I don't believe the executive would stand in the way of a minister coming forward with um, revising a scheme that was going to result in 209 operators getting financial support. And so we need to find a way because there's a trend and pattern with all due respect in the department with these schemes that are coming up that are being presented, then you find that the operators or those trying to apply for the grant are being met with one obstacle over another. And this is an opportunity between the SL1 and the SR to resolve this, Julie. And I think you need to send a signal to the industry that you're listening that you've heard them, that you are actually going to recommend changes to this so that they get the, uh, the much-needed finances that they need to survive. I think uh, a couple aspects of that. There's some of the, the key elements in terms of the 40% reduction in turnover, the, the, uh, the payments to loss-making rather than to profit-making, and the caps per bus are fundamentally at the heart of what the executive has agreed, and, and that's fundamentally at the heart of value for money. 
in terms of how we administer it and, and how we make that easier, we certainly want to engage with the sector around that. But as I've already said to Mr Buchanan, this has not been a smooth scheme. We have not found it uh, straightforward ourselves because if, if we were sitting as officials and everything that we looked at was completely aligned, was completely, um, you know, um, able to move through from A to B, for want of a better word, on, on a payment, that would be one version of it. But unfortunately, that hasn't been the case. And we've had to work very hard with operators to ensure we've got a right, the right understanding of what their expenditure is and that that is valid and therefore can be processed. Now, part of that, we believe, is about straightening out and improving the guidance to operators, because obviously the clearer the guidance is, the, the, the more straightforward that will be for everybody and, and the greater the likelihood that what we get given is, is something that we can more smoothly and easily put through um, to payment. But equally, we will need to do checks on it um, and um, that will apply and will need to apply based on our learning from the first scheme and our colleagues in internal audit would not at all support us withdrawing that and just making a payment without those checks and balances in place. I don't think necessarily that's what you were implying we should do, but the criticism on the administration and the scrutiny is coming, I believe, from that type of approach. Yet we firmly believe that that has to be in place in order to protect the use of public funds. That is different from other schemes and how they're being run, um, but it's, it's the way that this department is running their schemes in order to protect value for money. Well, it shouldn't be any different to the way other departments are being run because all departments are scrutinised and rightly so. All departments are doing due diligence and rightly so. Your department is no different to any of the other departments who are handling public money and are doing it in such a way to make sure that they can justify and stand over what they're doing. But your department is one department that we are getting scheme after scheme, complaint after complaint, from whether it's taxi drivers, taxi operators and now coach operators. And, and I do believe that there are opportunities for you in the SL1 in the SL and the SR to correct these uh, difficulties and address some of the issues that these operate these operators are desperate as the chair has said they are struggling they are on their knees and we need to try to ensure that we give as much support and protection as we move forward so Julie I would just encourage you as a department of do your due diligence, but don't just stick on that because that's sometimes what we're hearing from official after official is if there's any of us suggesting in this committee that you should not do that, of course you, do, you should. But I deal with the LPS, uh, the Land and Property Services, on a daily basis uh, in relation to some schemes and I'm able to talk to an individual and I'm able to resolve some of the problems. So when you're talking about communication, even for us, you know, to communicate with yourselves via email, and um, sometimes it might be helpful even for MLAs to have a go-to person so that we could try and get through the, some of the difficulties because when you talk about the taxi operators, the reason why it was changed in the second scheme, and even though I didn't agree with the pro rata, but there was acknowledgement given to some of these taxi drivers had to temporarily suspend their insurance. So we need to find a way of to inform you, if that's what it takes, of the difficulties that these operators are facing so that you could try your best to change the scheme and make the scheme uh, one that they find is accessible. And I believe that was the minister's intention, but unfortunately it is not what's happening in the department scheme after scheme. So I would just encourage you to reflect on that and think about what the members are saying today. 
Uh, a couple of aspects just to pick up on that. So the, all schemes obviously are different and what each department does is obviously a matter for themselves. Um, a, a significant number of schemes, however, are being done through ministerial direction, which means that the accounting officer and the minister is saying they cannot assure value for money and therefore they are not uh, doing the same checks that we need to be done. And that's the basis in which those schemes have been done. They're getting set payments without scrutiny as to whether they have incurred the expenditure or not. And that's the basis. And that's a matter for those departments. And those have obviously been signed off at the executive table. On the comms issue, I would fully accept but, um, that we do need to do better. Um, we have put in place, as I'm sure you're aware, in the taxi driver um, scheme, um, dedicated phone lines, and those seem to be uh, working well and um, holding up well and getting people with a voice, as you say, and a person that they can talk to, which is working well for the taxi drivers. So we will be looking at comms. Now, there has definitely been more uh, phone communication with the bus operators than was possible with the taxi drivers just because of the sheer volume. But we will we still think and firmly do believe, Ms. Um, Anderson, um, that we can do better in that, in that place. Well, Chair, just finally, I think in the middle of a global pandemic, and we've heard of procurement and rule books and everything else being torn, torn up so that people can, can get support that they need, I think that maybe the minister should consider a ministerial directive and making sure the due diligence that is being done, for instance, I know in the Department of Finance and the Department of Economy, uh, is also being done by your department. So if it is that, and if that's the problem, uh, and, and the criteria around what is defined as value for money, well, I would suggest that perhaps, Chair, we should ask the minister to take a look at that and take a look at what other ministers are doing, because they are handling public money in a way that uh, they can stand over and it's accountable going forward. Um, if I could just sorry, clarify that, a ministerial direction means that they cannot stand over value for money. That's what a ministerial direction actually means. They might stand over value for money, but it's not the, uh, they're not just flying, you know, firing money all over the place. There's your criteria put in place and pe people, for instance, have to pay rates in order to get the land and property services. If you're paying rate to um, your landlord and not to the LPS, you will not get it. You have to pay a particular standard of rate to get a particular amount of money. You have to be restricted and told to close. If you're still operating, then that's a completely different. Uh, you may be affected, but you may not be able to receive the same amount of money. There's criteria put in place. There's due diligence. And I can tell you every MLA that is dealing with the LPS can, can, can confirm that. So it's not just that this money is being just thrown out because, for instance, somebody pays rates. Okay, anyone else? Thank you. Okay, thank you. Um, Ms. Kimmins? Thanks, Chair. A lot of the questions I was going to ask was covered by yourself and others. Um, so it's just, just a couple of things. Um, in relation to the appeals process, Julie, I know um, from speaking to, to some of the operators, there, were, there was some confusion around the process. So have we any idea when appeals would be considered for those who've applied um, so far? And if, if any have been successful? Um, yes, uh, we are starting to look at appeals. And yes, um, there's been a, at least one has been successful. So um, that's because of additional information that they provided to us compared to what was in the original application form. So we're very open that people have more they can bring to the table to uh, provide that to us. Um, so we we have written the, the way the process works, just to, to clarify that maybe, um, 
we obviously issue a decision letter out of the original assessment, um, and operators are then advised as to whether they want to appeal or not. If they want to appeal, they have to let us know that, and they need to let us know the basis or the rationale or the justification or you know the reason for for the appeal and what their appeal their point that they're that they're looking at, um, and that then allows us to consider that. You know, they have to have something additional, additional evidence or whatever that may be, which we can then take into account. So um, obviously our, our main priority has been getting those first decision letters out, as you would expect. Um, but we're working through the appeal process, um, you know, literally as we speak. Um, and that um, I can tell you, yes, that certainly at least one has been successful that I'm aware of to date. And I'm, I'm not aware there could be more. So um, we will work through those as quickly as we possibly can. Um, and certainly happy to work with operators if there's more information that they can bring to the table that enables us to um, consider that claim again. Okay, thank you. And um, see, see, in terms of, I suppose, and, and apologies, this has already been been um, covered, but it, the way the taxi grant scheme worked, if if you were unsuccessful the first time with them and things changed and you applied the second time, you could claim for the whole period. Is it the same for the second scheme on, on this for anybody that was unsuccessful first time around? Um, we don't believe, no, we don't believe that because fundamentally a lot of this is, is still the same between the two schemes. So if you're, if you've, they've been rejected the first time, then they need to sort that out and resolve that through submitting a, a claim in an appeal. Now, what we will, however, do is the ones that were subjected to the um, hundred thousand point cap that we are removing in the second scheme. We will obviously uh, liaise with those operators to advise that do they want to take the higher payments, which will depend on all sorts of things. But one would imagine they will want to take the higher payments um, out of the first six months, and we will put that through. So we are the bit that has changed, the significant bit that has changed around the hundred thousand point cap, we will put in place, and we're also looking at the state aid complications about both forwards and backwards and whether we need to do anything, what we need to do with the operators around state aid for the period 1st of April to 30th of September, if that means, because uh, that's all cumulative, so if the amounts change, they may want, we may need to look at what the state aid rules were around how they got that payment and we'll be trying to capture that within the statutory rule. That's probably the most significant issue within the statutory rule to get clear. Um, and you know we're still at this at the point of, of, of trying to work our way through what that means for operators to get it as many and as fair to operators as we possibly can, can get. So it's that one is the the element of the scheme, I guess. Looking at the second scheme that we know we've still to do a bit of work on, and that potentially impacts the timing of when we can get um, the regulations um, put in place. Okay, thank you. I suppose not to go back into the, the same debate, but I suppose the biggest issue for me is the fact that, you know, the, the, the Boston coach operators are obviously still quite unhappy with a lot of this. And um, I, I think it would have been important if they had have even if they had been engaged with them when the design was finalised of the second scheme, because I think we could have dealt with a lot of this. But maybe going forward, as other members have suggested, if, if there's amendments that that engagement's continued, because I think it's, you know, the fact that we're back here and there's still issues is it's just it's it's quite poor but um hopefully we'll be able to get them resolved but that that's all my questions sure thank you thank you mr muir um thank you very much chair and um Thank you for Julian and officials for coming to the committee this morning. Um, I first want to say thanks for the work that's being done to date in the pandemic. Um, 
I think all of us have been doing tasks that we didn't anticipate a year ago and under extreme pressure. And I do greatly appreciate that um, because it is extremely trying. Um, also, these are public funds. Um, and I, I understand that we're in extraordinary circumstances and we need to get any help we can to people in need. We really need to do that. But also we need to be able to safeguard public funds around that. And in due course, there'll be a public inquiry in relation to all of this. And we need to be able to stand over the decisions that we're making around that. So I think it's important that we get that assistance out, that we listen to the feedback from the sector and from the different businesses and see what we can do to assist. But we also have to take into account that these are public funds and we have to ensure that uh, when in the cold light of day, many months and years after this, that we can properly account for the decisions that were made and to stand over them. Um, just in relation to just a few things, um, uh, this is a bit of a nerdy question. Um, the uh, apologies if it's already been clarified and stuff like that. Uh, in terms of the calculation of the financial loss for operators, is that done on a cash flow basis or an accrual basis? <laughs> okay. Um, well, firstly, before I go into that, um, th thank you for the acknowledgement of, of the pressure that the both this team and I guess a lot of civil servants right across government are working under to tr really try to get these payments out. Um, we also, of course, understand the pressure that um, our you know the providers and the operators are, are under as well. But there is an immense amount of pressure on the team, and they they are working exceptionally hard to try and um, make sure they land everything the right way for people. They're so committed, actually, to try and get the payments um, as positive as they can make them, and that's what they're trying to do while securing the BFM, which you've also recognised is is so important. In terms of your question, it's on an accruals basis. So if the payment is is made, if you like, in in November, uh, but it related to the period April to September then it should be brought back in and can be claimed for, and we've allowed that to happen. Um, occasionally, we have had the opposite, whereby um, it's been about expenditure, for example, in November, but it's been tried to be claimed for because it's been paid in the period April to September, and we've had to say no, no to that, but that will be picked up in the second scheme. So I think there is an element of confusion right there, and I think... Um, you know that that's partly what we brought the accountants into as well in terms of, of trying to to help um, operators maybe with some of that um but and i know it, it has been challenging for people we will try and straighten the guidance out as much as we possibly can for people about maybe giving more examples or that sort of thing that but I, i'd like to also hope that between our side of the of this and what operators have done the next the next time should be smoother for everybody anyway and um, just because of the learning that's been involved yeah, and just in terms of the amount of officials that are dedicated to dealing and processing of these applications, how many do we have at the moment, and is there any capacity to be able to add more resource to that? You know, and conscious of the the need to get the payments out as soon as possible. Okay, um, uh, whenever sort of in the um, period in January, we had um, up to eight people working at a point in time. Going into February, that's dropped down to about four. And that's because it's actually not about a volume anymore. It's about working with the individual operators and understanding their individual claims. And you can't just throw bodies at it. Mm. It's about, you know, having that understanding of that claim and then working through with the operator about their expenses and understanding that. So it has dropped. We would expect the same in the second scheme, whereby you know, we will put more resources into it uh, again and, and inflate, put those back up again. 
Um, and then, you know, after a point in time, it's not bodies that you need. It's it's actually that the, the, the time to have those conversations with the operators that you're dealing with and moving them forward. We would expect those remaining six applications to be processed this week uh, to conclusion one way or other. Um, and then to Mrs. Kimmins point, we will pick up um, the outstanding uh, appeals and we will work that through, you know, equally in this week and, and, and into next. Um, but I think just in terms of running this, it was the same with the taxi scheme. We need to close out the first scheme so that we've got the time and the capacity and the ability to then put in place the second scheme. And, and that's that's what we're trying to do, albeit we've had to do the prep or some of the prep for the second scheme. Um, alongside the the you know the, the working through of the first scheme at the same time and the engagement sector and all of that. Thank you, Julian. Just one last question. Um, it's just really about what plan further engagement there is with the sector and with operators because um, you know we're coming into March soon and that's going to bring us into the end of the financial year. But the beginning of a new financial year is not going to mean that the challenges being experienced by coach operators is over. If anything. This next, you know, the, the remainder of this calendar year is largely going to be a write-off for a lot of these operators because of the international travel is going to uh, really not going to be coming back this year in terms of tourism business and stuff like that. And I remember many times, you know, I remember doing Antrim Coast Road Marathon and running down that coastal road and seeing all the coaches going up to the north coasts. That's not going to be happening this year. So just what further engagement there is planned with those operators and with their different representative bodies and whether any consideration be made then towards further bids for funding to assist them uh, so we can get through this year and hopefully see a, a, you know, a return to, to business next year. Um, I'll maybe talk about the forward look on that and ask Philip just to come in a wee bit about the engagement that we've been doing to date uh, with the sector. So in terms of the forward side of that, we... Um, and I guess it's similar to the to the discussion with the chair. We know 21 is going to be challenging, uh, and that will be across the board. We want to continue to work with the sector about what their needs are, and I, you know, I think that will be have to be something that the executive really needs to look at the recovery um, post COVID, what, whatever that looks like, how restrictions move through. I know, obviously, that they're also looking to see what funding is made available from UK governments, because that obviously hugely influences things as well. And when the big schemes um, and the uh, likes of furlough and, and all of that and says schemes, you know, come to an end, will also have a big um, impact on things. So we want to continue to engage with the sector and we will obviously be talking to them about the operational bit and arrangements and, and the guidance and all of that on the, on the, on the second scheme. Philip, do you want to have a just a, give a quick overview of how we've been doing that? Uh, yeah, what, what uh, the, the department has been involved in, um, going back actually to last summer, um, has actually been um, a number of engagements uh, with the sector um, whenever it became apparent actually that uh, the, the, our department was going to be asked uh, to pr provide support uh, for the sector. And the minister and officials have regularly uh, engaged uh, with the sector um, in relation to their concerns. Um, and most recently, uh, we met, uh, the minister met with the sector on the 1st of February. February, um, and then officials met um, uh, on the 9th of February uh, with uh, um, uh, the sector to try and understand the, the concerns that, the, that they have. And uh, uh, I guess it's already been um, intimated. We are planning 
going forward when we, the, the operational rollout of the second scheme actually because we do appreciate that there is a piece of work that needs to be done in and around the communication of the second scheme and we fully intend um, to work with the sector to help um, those operators and their accountants um, fully understand what the requirements of the second scheme will be. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, thank you. Um, Mr. Beggs, sorry, I couldn't work out the clerk shorthand. <laughs> uh, hello, hello there. And uh, uh, can I too um, follow what my colleague on the committee, Andrew Muir, has said that? Uh, uh, I would like to thank you, Julie, and your colleagues for the efforts that you are making uh, and hope that you understand that when we are critical, we're, we're doing so hopefully in a constructive manner to try and uh, assist everyone uh, at this situation. Um, now, uh, firstly, welcome the increase in the Dominicus uh, uh, limit. Um, you know, it, it seemed to me not to be not to be any reason behind that uh, limit, so I, I welcome that increase. Um, I would like to better understand why the, the forty percent decrease in turnover criteria is still applying. Because if that forty percent is your profitable bit of work, um, that 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 leaves you uh, struggling hugely, and any business that would lose forty percent of the work will be under significant pressures. So, I'm, uh, can you give an explanation why that criteria is is being used? Yeah. Okay. So on the on the state aid point, um, it, it is it is very complicated. Um, and how each business is affected on state aid, I, I guess, is is um different. Fred, to put it mildly, we um are working to understand particularly what the new arrangements look like from the first of January onwards. Our understanding is that you know, funding and um, subsidies that have been provided um, up to 31st of December still count. You don't you don't wipe the state clean and start again from the 1st of January. Um, and therefore we have to, and therefore we've got a scheme as a lot of these schemes are that go part, part on the old rules and part of the new rules. So we're working um, to try and just make sure we get the right understanding of that and what needs to be done. Um, we know that the lifting of that cap from the 200 um, there's a very small number of operators that that will affect, but equally we know it makes it will make a difference to them. But it's making sure we do that right, um, and we will need and are working with advice from you know the likes of the Department for Economy. Bez is behind some of that as well, so we have to we have to make sure we do it all right. Um, and I, I would be wrong for me to say we've got the full journey on that one completely completely worked out. On the forty percent drop in in turnover points. Um, I mean, that impacted on three uh, of the operators who applied. Now, I appreciate there may have been others who obviously didn't apply to the scheme because they, they didn't meet the criteria. If you think where the criteria comes from and where the scheme comes from, it comes from there being exceptional circumstances where you have been impacted by the pandemic. So it's really important that we have a criteria in there that says there has been an impact on that business because of the pandemic. Uh, other schemes have also applied that 40% drop as a as a kind of first first bar to get across in order to say yes there has been an impact of the of the pandemic on my business so that's that's where it comes from and certainly our read and our understanding from the sector is that it wasn't a huge issue um, in terms of what happened in the first scheme um, and hasn't been a huge issue in terms of the feedback they provided to us either. 
I, I suspect it's been a huge issue for the three firms that have not have been eliminated because of the criteria. So how did the figure of 40% be, be uh, selected? We, again, it's back to, to say, you know, what is a reasonable number to identify in terms of there being exceptional circumstances? And we knew that 40% um, was in play in, in other schemes as well. And it felt that that level, 50% felt too high. Um, and therefore, we went for the 40% as a means of saying, yes, there has been something substantively different for that business this year compared to any other year. And that's why it's there. Okay, and again, it may well time. be that the next time, sorry, would have, you know, this this second scheme, it may be that more people will have experienced more than that forty percent drop, and therefore will get higher numbers. That is a potential. Thanks for clarifying the the, uh, the two hundred thousand limit. I hadn't picked that up. So you're saying if you got a hundred thousand pound the first time around, essentially the second time around, it's still a hundred thousand uh, max. No, no, we no. Sorry, there's two bits. So that the hundred thousand cap is gone. Okay, so from uh, the maximum payment, that's that's away, and that's um, out with what what was agreed um, with the executive. You then have to look at state aid. So the state aid is the two hundred thousand euros, and trying to then move that into for where it is needed, up to the eight hundred thousand euros. On the new rules, um, there's something called special drawing rights, which are in and around over three hundred thousand, as as I understand it, the kind of equivalent to the two hundred thousand. So what we need to do is figure out what each operator would be entitled to. And as far as we possibly can, ensure that the state aid stroke subsidy rules of the, uh, do not impact on what they would otherwise have been given. So we're taking out the cap of the 100,000 as a first off version of that and first thing to do. And then we are trying to put in place, if we possibly can, uh, um, the state aid rules around that. But you have to, if you're going to go... Um, uh, above the 200,000 or indeed above the special drawing rights, there's there's rules you have, funny enough, there's rules you have to, you know, follow in order to do that. Um, and that requires authority to be given by other parties as well and evidence about proportionate and what it means. And because and, you're really getting up into significant amounts of money being given to, given to individual businesses and therefore, quite rightly, uh, people are, are need to understand that that is not giving undue advantage to a particular operator, which is what those state aid rules are, are really all about. So um, it's work in progress. We, my read at the moment is we should be able to find a way through it, but it's it's uh, it may require working with the operators concerned um, and the, the individual, and there'll not be many of these um, to to help us to get them on the right side of that criteria. Now, if I've picked you up right, you, you mentioned further determination by the first minister and deputy first minister. So the original proposals have been altered. Can you explain what uh, the executive has has uh, agreed in terms of that determination? Okay, so when I said further, I meant um, the determination to do with the second scheme. Um, so they did their original determination, as you know, on the 3rd of November to do with the first scheme off the back of what the executive had agreed. And they have the executive has agreed the paper last Thursday, which is what um, is in the the basis of the SL one that you've been given, and that determination has come in to match that uh, um, this week. 
So when I said further, I meant the, the, the determination to do with the second scheme, uh, which is further to the determination to do with the first scheme. There has not been two determinations to do with the second scheme. Apologies if I didn't make that clear. Okay, th thanks for that clarification. Now, in terms of proportionate administration, I imagine some of the larger firms will have their own in-house accountant, probably producing monthly accounts, and it's a straightforward process at no significant cost to producing the necessary paperwork. So have you looked at what could be done to uh, reduce the admin for the smaller man, the smaller guy who's operating a, a perhaps a one or two coach business? So it is proportionate what we're asking for. Yeah, I mean, I think that's um, an issue, certainly, and we will want to look at I think you start off by clarifying your guidance more. So the more that the guidance is clear, the easier it is for people to complete the process more straightforwardly. We have a lot of learning from the first scheme. We know those operators where it was relatively smooth and where what they gave us was very comprehensive and was easy to understand. And was, um, you know, when we asked questions, um, it all it all worked in a very smooth way. And we will be talking to internal audit about what we can do potentially to, to maybe you know check less slightly less for want of a better word of some of the some of those claims, um, in order to say yes that looks similar to what we've got the last time it was smooth the last time can we take a slightly reduced you know checking process around that the contra course to that is we know equally that we've had some claims which have been very very difficult to work through and we will potentially have to. Um, understandably, uh, internal audit would then expect us to um, scrutinise those and continue to scrutinise those more. So um, I think there is learning from the first scheme about how you, you know, check. Um, and you know, as I say, some, you're, you're absolutely right, Mr. Beggs, that some some operators' businesses are are much more simple uh, and easier to to put together than than others. Um, and we will keep a weather eye to that and what what they told us the last time and how that um how we found that as we were going through the processing process and try and take a i would suggest both a proportionate and a risk-based approach to that checking process I, I, I welcome that. I do understand this is public money and, and we have to ensure that it is uh, appropriately used so uh, there has to be a balance you're quite right finally then in terms of the timeline of the second scheme um, we're swiftly coming to the end of this financial year. Now, I would assume that the uh, scheme has to go through, the applications have to be come in, they have to be assessed, and the money has to then to be paid out. Does all that have to happen in this financial year? Because I, I suspect that that's a huge um, pressure on, on everyone. Um, that's, a, that's a very good question. No, it doesn't. Um, we would expect to um, launch the scheme and probably that we're aiming for the week commencing the 8th of March, probably towards the end of that week. But um, the biggest, as I say, uh, issue that we need to resolve is the state aid and, and making sure we understand it. We would then hope to have it open to, um, a, but it's yet to be finalised. We want to talk to the sector about this, but probably to the start of April. Um, and as long as the expenditure and the claim relates to the period up to 31st of March, then those payments will be counted against um, the 2021 budget rather than the 21-22. So we do expect to be processing and there's a balance here between allowing people sufficient time to get their figure work together and all the rest of it and also others who will want payment made as quickly as possible. So we will be working with the sector to try and get the, the balance of that right 
um, but we expect to be processing, yes, on the other side of the year end. Um, and um, but there's no issue in doing that. Um, the money will fall to 2021 and go against the, the funding that's available then. Okay, thank you very much. Thank you, Mr. Boylan. Thanks, Chair, and thanks, Julie, for coming along. Um, and yeah, I just want to put on record who the work the team has done. Julie, just a few wee points. Um, Clearly, the Comptroller and Auditor General and the Audit Office will find out whether COVID spends value for money after the whole process is over. So it, it is a wee bit unusual. And I understand what you're saying about the value for money, but I mean, we're in the pandemic and we're trying to support as many businesses as possible. And we have our own role and responsibility through through this committee. I, I just want to delve into the, the first scheme. The first scheme has been fully appraised, has it? Um, as it, we well, as in we pe- we have put six applications still to process. Um, is that what you're asking? Yeah, and, and asking that, but but more so in what we learned from the first scheme and what we want to introduce in the second scheme. Oh, I sorry, mean, yes. Um, in terms of um, yes, us assessing uh, and understanding, we have looked at the first scheme in in setting up the design of the second scheme, as as has the sector and what they've obviously you know provided back as well. Um, we now we're at the point whereby the principles of that second scheme are um, agreed at the executive and in the SL1. We do have work to do around operate op, operationalising it um, and working through the actual mechanics and the, how would you implement it and whatever. So um, we still would need to pick up some of the work. Like what what is it that we need to change? in terms of the guidance to make that more clear for, for folk. How long will we have it open for? What will, what way will the, the communications best work? So there's still some of the things that we know um, need to be looked at for the second scheme where we want to work with the sector about how best to make that happen. So that process will, will be ongoing in the next couple of weeks um, as, we, as we plan for the launch of the second scheme. Right. And do you see, see, because, I mean, we, we're we looking at the SL1 now, and obviously there'll be an SR in a couple of weeks' time, or whatever time you want to introduce it. The thing for us is we've got to get the principle of the SL1 right, okay? You're saying, I have to look at the industry. Now, there's 209 operators, right? 84 are eligible for this scheme, and there's so many of them being paid out at the minute. Are we saying on this new scheme, how many of those 209 operators are we going to facilitate? Okay, so just on the on the first scheme, there was 140 out of the 209 that applied, and 94 of those were viewed to be eligible, and we've obviously six still to go. In terms of how many will apply, we always knew that we wouldn't get the full 209. Um, the, as a bus operator, the uh, there is a, a criteria in there about it, it has to be the main purpose of your business is carriage of people or and their luggage for reward or hire. And there are some uh, uh, people and businesses that have bus operator licenses um, that where uh, operating a bus of that nature is not their main purpose of their business. So, for example, like childcare providers or things like that, who, you know, so, have so a, out of so the we're never going to get the whole 209. Um, so what do, you, what do you reckon, What your, your estimate of it, out of the 209, under the new scheme, what do you think the eligibility is in terms of numbers for 
Um, well, I guess that's de that's dependent on what has happened to people's uh, businesses during the period that is different to the to the to the first six months. You know, would it be reasonable to expect that more businesses are loss making this time compared to the first six months? That is that is perfectly possible. Um, are they able? You know, will there be more businesses with a drop in income of over forty percent compared to the first scheme? So, you know, those those principles are on what they mean. Um, I would expect, and that's why we have um, assessed that potentially the the take up on this scheme financially will be higher the second time. But we don't really know until until, no, 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 until no, the applications come through. You know. No, and I appreciate that. And the whole idea for us is. Is, is in supporting yourselves bringing forward the scheme is to ensure that the majority of those people who are entitled to apply for the scheme receive the funding. And, and to be perfectly honest, to you, the, the, the only people who know this is the actual sector itself. You know, we, we can delve in and out as members of a committee. We're, we're getting lobbied, obviously, and we're getting an explanation from yourself today. So I, I would appreciate, you know, the full cooperation with the sector in relation to that and whatever changes needs to be done I, I appreciate also that this is going to the executive I mean I don't know where any other minister fully interrogated your your application you know I know they agreed to the executive but I, I don't know how the level of detail what the, what they would have known or whatever but uh, that's up to each department to bring forward their own schemes but I would appreciate you definitely um, going back to the sector and saying this is what we're going to do here because I think there's nine asks yeah there was nine yeah. asks from the sector or, or some within the sector. How many of those nine asks are going to be implemented in in the new scheme? We believe that three of the nine asks can, can be implemented, which is the removal of the £100,000 cap. They're looking at the state aid um, uh, rules, assuming we can get those to, to work appropriately, and looking at the comms and the updates. Um, in terms of the other asks, um, the... Um, issues of, as we've already discussed around it being focused on loss making rather than profit making um, that, that is there as a protection against AFM and just to, to manage applications and um, that isn't one that the, the minister would be prepared to, to change um, we can look at accountants a little bit but we do believe that we do need to have sign off of accountants um, there has been enough problems with the first scheme to for us to be saying we cannot take that control away and um, and we've talked about um the 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 look at rolling scheme from april 21 to december 2021 um, and that's something i think will need to be looked at in a broader way so there's we can look at um administration uh but um, and and along, along the lines, I guess, of what I, I said to Mr. Beggs, um, you know, for some that may be able to be streamlined, but unfortunately for some others, it, it most definitely will not. No, no, appreciate that. And I know a lot of the questions have been asked before, but I'm just trying to clarify because at the end of the day, Julie, it's, it'll be the sector that's most important here and how they can access supports, you know, through this period. See, in terms of the, the there was an issue over the setting the cap. Was the cap set within uh, this department or was it set within another department? The, set, the cap was set by this department. We looked at the, um, the £100,000 cap that was put in place by this department um, and we know now that it impacted on 
five operators from the first scheme, albeit all four of them would have been very, very close to £100,000 anyway, three because of the cap per bus and one because of their loss. So there's really only one operator that was significantly impacted by that cap. Um, and therefore, we've looked at removing that cap um, moving forward. But we have confirmed to the committee that, that, that the decision on the cap was made by DFI. We then obviously engaged about, well, what, what would the state aid rules be that work best for the scheme with that cap? Um, and we certainly engaged um, with, with economy officials around that element of it. But ultimately, the decision of the cap was made by, by the department uh, in order to protect value for money. Right, and, and just in, in relation to, I mean, the industry sent us that the cap issue would have affected 20% of the overall industry. You, you're saying it's affected five? I mean, they're saying... It, um, the, the difference here, I think they're looking at the numbers of buses. So um, the, the one, op I don't want to get into individual um, uh, applicants, uh, Kathleen, I'm sure you'll understand, but one operator yeah. has a significant number of buses that was uh, uh, significantly affected, and that's why the numbers don't... You, um, these are high-end, uh, high numbers uh, that I'm talking about. Right. Well, just just on that, because I know a lot of the questions have been asked, and I just wanted, for my own clarity, see see in terms of where we go now. I mean, obviously, the SL one sitting there. I mean, are you are you going to go back now and engage with the sector because it's important? Because what's going to happen is after this meeting today, the sector is going to come to each member. So, I mean, where where are you now in terms of your engagement? Because you already met the sector, yeah, and went through. I thought the scheme was going to be going to be changed. I mean, this is the first time. Obviously, each scheme, different departments have learned from the first time they rolled out their their original schemes. So you would go back to the sector now before this SL one um, comes back to us or comes to the committee in terms of some changes. Um, I, I wouldn't expect the SL1 to change I, um, in terms of because at the level that it's at and the principles that are in it. Um, you know, so we've talked a lot there about um, the um, amounts per bus, the 8,000 and the 4,450, the fact that there'll be loss making, the fact that there's a reduction in debit reduction turnover of 40%. Those, have all, those are all fundamental, um, you know, elements of the scheme. Um, and I, I do not expect that those will change and therefore the SL1 will remain. Where I do think we have room for discussion with the sector is around how we implement the scheme and, and what actually that looks like on the other side and how we can make that as, as smooth as possible. So uh, the chair started, I guess, this element around, you know, what happened on the taxi drivers. The change in the taxi drivers, so what was in the SL1 was about a pro rata um, being done and the change that we did in taxi drivers was change it from a, a 30 day block as, as a minimum requirement to a daily pro rata. Um, but effectively the essence of the scheme was the same. So just in terms of managing expectations, I think it's really important. Um, I wouldn't expect that SL1 to change. Um, um, and I would expect that we are talking to the sector about how we operationalize it and the, the ways in which we can make it run a bit smoother for everybody concerned. But I do not expect that, you know, the, the key things that the executive has, has, has um, signed off on to change. Right. Well, we'll just, just finally then, Chair, um, for yourself, Judy, and thank you and Philip for the, uh, the presentations. Say in terms of, if I'm sitting out there as part of the industry now and I'm looking at the SL1, in your, your, your opinion, 
on your view and discussions you've had with the, with the operators out there. How, how are they feeling about this SL1 at the minute? Have you any discussions in relation to the detail of that? Um, they, they are not, I mean, I think the honesty to that is they're not happy with the second scheme in, in the sector because as um, several committee members have yourself pointed out, they identified nine things that they would have wanted us to have changed and because we haven't addressed all of those, therefore they're not um, particularly happy with the uh, second scheme. Um, and that boils down to, as we've already discussed um, with yourself and other members, you know, they would want it to be able to be paid to profit-making businesses as well. Um, they would want to take the scrutiny levels down. They would want to take the accountant sign-off down. Um, and those are unfortunately things that we cannot um, cannot do based on our um, understanding of the first scheme and also the need to protect value for money and the use of public funds. So they they remain dissatisfied, um, but we still want to engage with them positively and really do want to around um, the, the, the putting this into place as smoothly as we possibly can. Just, just finally, sorry, Julie, you said profit-making. I mean, but surely to God, even through this pandemic, there's been nobody operating at 100%. How, how do you assess that? I mean, how do we, how do we qualify that in terms of, uh, you know, the percentage of profit-making? I mean... Um, because there, ha there are businesses that have been profit-making. Um, so we've asked them for their income and their expenditure. And they, there are some businesses, um, because some education authority contracts have been continuing and some people some businesses have been able to uh, still remain in profit so um if you have a, it depends on the model obviously of your business uh, absolutely uh, but if you have if you have um a lot of your staff on furlough um and you've taken out your, a lot of your wage bill if not all of it um, and if you have buses that are not highly financed and are effectively you know in your yard and almost fully paid for and those buses are not running um, then, uh, and you maybe have, or predominantly not running, and you maybe have some bit of businesses coming in. So we have had, I mean, 21 of the, of the, of the operators who applied to us were profit-making. No, 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 I appreciate that. But I mean, if that was the case, then the industry wouldn't be crying back to all the members in the, in the committee asking these questions. Well, 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 well I, think, I think the answer to that, Cathal, is, is because it is so variable. There, there are definitely operators who are most definitely not profit-making and are in significant you know, financial difficulties. So that's the variability that is in the industry. Um, and obviously what we're trying to do is to provide a scheme that deals with those that are most in need and the, those that are therefore, you know, have the losses and, and require the support. And that's what we're trying to, to achieve. No, I appreciate it, Julianne. And what we want to do, especially from ourselves, we want to support as many of the industries we can who's entitled to and we want a proper scheme out there. But thanks anyway for the answers, Chair. I'll leave it at that. I've a lot more questions, but I'll leave it at that for now. Thank you, Chair. Thank, Thank you. you, Mr. Hildage, Deputy Chair. Thanks, Chair, and you're very welcome, Julia, this morning, and thanks for your help as, uh, and your, your staff as time has progressed, particularly in the taxi situation, which has been, the changes there have been very helpful. Well, un unfortunately, maybe not the same in, in the, this one, but when it appeared that there was less than half of the industry was even eligible, did that sound 
alarm bells with the department in relation to things just weren't right? There could have been something done um, better. I, I, I guess that goes over some of the, the ground that we've covered in that we always knew that there wouldn't be, that the scheme um, wouldn't cover everybody, that there are bus operators out there who, uh, where the bus part is not the main part of their business and that they would therefore have never been able to apply. We also knew that there were some bus operators who um, are continuing to do, when the schools were open, were continuing doing education authority contracts and that was giving them some degree of income. What we were unsighted on the first time and I have greater insight on is to what extent um, operators are in profit and to what extent they are in loss. Um, and I think that bit it was always a bit of an element of an unknown, I guess, to us in terms of, of, of the first scheme and, and the take up. And I guess looking ahead to the second scheme, um, that's also still where we, we know more than what we did um, I would expect that given where um, the restrictions are and what has happened in the last six months, that potentially we will get more take up this time because of um, the, the fact that maybe more businesses are, are finding it more challenging in this six month period than the last six month period. So we will, we will see what, what that brings. And hopefully also if we can deal with the sort of um, evidence side and that people are clearer about what is required and all of that, that might also help as well. Okay, thank you. There, there seem to be some well, reluctance to use a ministerial direction, which other departments have used, but the use of a ministerial direction, uh, you know, it does have the backup of uh, the thing having to go through the audit office and the, the auditor and controller general. And then the ministerial direction will be presented then to the uh, public accounts committee, and so there's a there's a fair bit of scrutiny there, which other ministers and departments have, have made use of. It's not just a case of a minister blandly handing out without proper scrutiny. Did, did, would that not be a factor? Um, ultimately, that... obviously, that's a, a matter for for the minister. Um, but I guess in what a ministerial yes it has those um elements with it yeah. but fundamentally a ministerial direction is put in place where an accounting officer and a minister cannot assure themselves that value for money will be achieved through the process that they're entering and then yes they have to because of that very um point they have to then engage with the audit office because they're basically saying that the public funds that they're talking about they cannot assure value for money on, on those public funds. Yes. Um, there's a whole bit of managing public money that is all about that and about all the criteria that needs to be put in place. Um, but fundamentally, um, from our minister's perspective, um, she wants to protect value for money for public funds and therefore is not, um, has not a, a, um, put in place ministerial directions on any of these schemes within our department. Yes, I can understand. Obviously, that. what other departments yeah. do is a matter for them. I can understand that in, nor in, in normal times, but because of the situation that we find ourselves in this last twelve months, it's just unprecedented, as everybody knows, and it's emergency situations and whatnot. And I just feel that the rule in ministerial direction out, where all our departments have made use of it, and I, it's just been I don't know short sighted or just you know, everybody wants value for money at the end of the day but we, we are where we are and we're involved in what we're involved in and, you know 
the, the occasion may arise to try and get people assistance where it has to be done, and I don't think it should be ruled out at all. Well, I think that, as I say, the fundamental from our minister's perspective is to protect, this is public money, protecting use of public money, and yes, giving payments uh, um, to those that um, can demonstrate that they meet the criteria and that we will work as hard as we possibly can to get that to as many people as we possibly can. Thank you. Um, Julie, just to, to, um, just to, to tidy this up, can you give us a, a time for when you, you anticipate the SR coming to the committee? Um, the SR, so we were expecting the SR would be fine. Well, the SL1s come to the committee, the SR is then um, dealt with um, and you'll get it. We expect it to be somewhere around that, that week commencing the 8th of March. Okay. And um, obviously, there has been a considerable amount of discussion in relation to sort of follow up with with the sector. Um, can you give a commitment that you you will be able to speak to some of the um, industry representatives in the interim um, between sort of now and the scheme being finalised? Particularly if you are still exploring some aspects of of trying to make it um, easier for them. Yes, we would be expecting to get to the sector sometime next week. Um, as part of that, yeah. Okay, no, thank you. Um, and thank you very much for your time uh, and also send our regards and to, to staff. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Chair. That's hugely appreciated. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, members. Um, so what we do need them to agree is obviously the proposals are subject to negative resolution procedure and are members content with the proposals for the statutory rule? Obviously, we, we do have concerns, but we also know there are implications. <coughs> Any comments from anyone? Are we content? Do I take silence as contentment? Madam Chair. Mr. Beggs. I think we all... Um, recognise that there are things that we may want um, slightly different. Um, uh, but I I think uh, we have to recognise that this has went through the department, it has went through the executive, and at this stage we, we probably um, have the choice between going ahead with what is on offer or uh, considerable further delays. Um, and as such, I think we would be better going forward with it. Our members contend then that we that we agree, but we do write, um, obviously, articulating the concerns which we have raised with regards to some of the issues that have been raised um, by the sector. Yes. Okay. Um, and there was a obviously, Miss Anderson um, spoke of ministerial direction as to Mr. Hildage. Um, I'm not sure really. It's, it's the committee's position, perhaps, maybe, to recommend that the minister does this because it is very much an individual. Um, prerogative um, and obviously her um, the information that she will have will be much more detailed than the information that, that we will have but perhaps um, to reflect those comments um, that we could ask you know what, what consideration she gave to it as opposed to directing her to do so if members are content with that okay any other comments no? Okay, thank you. Um, moving then on to um, our former board programme. Um, it's at page 124. 
Are members <coughs> content? Okay. Can I also just remind members just at the end of the session, obviously, just to remain online because we are going to have sort of further discussion in relation to forward work program. Um, is there any other business which members would like to raise at this stage? Are we in formal session? No. Okay. Thank you. And obviously, those in the room, whenever we finish, maintain social distancing. Our next meeting will take place at 10 a.m. on Wednesday, the 3rd of March, in the Senate Chamber, and the meeting is now adjourned. Thank you. This is the Northern Ireland Assembly Committee Room 29. This is the Northern Ireland Assembly Committee Room 29.